Welcome to episode 54 of Two Geeks, Two Beers, with me, Morgan, and of course, Tom. Hello. So, this episode is something a bit special. It's only the second in our occasional series of interview specials. Uh, This time, it's with... Nicholas Briggs. Nicholas Briggs. Was it Nick Briggs? What does he prefer? Nick to his friends. Oh, right. So, Nicholas to us. Okay, okay. Uh, (laughs) So, Nick, for those of you that don't know, is a... Bit of a player in the <laughs> worlds of uh, Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, he famously provides the voice of the Daleks uh, and various other monsters, including the Cybermen, the Jadoon. Uh, and he's also, Tom, right. the, <laughs> the co-executive producer of Big Finish Productions. Now, you may have heard us mention them every now and then. We give them a free plug, yeah. gratis, uh, every once in a while. They produce uh, all different kinds of audio dramas, audio plays uh, in the sci-fi and fantasy genres, uh, but are predominantly known for their work in Doctor Who. So we joined Nick. He was very kind to give us uh, a few hours of his time, and Mm -hmm. we joined him at the Big Finish offices. Yeah, and there was a very shiny, massive Dalek in there. There was. Very exciting. (laughs) There was. We were in the right place. (laughs) We were. Uh, Yeah, so we sat down with Nick, and we chatted all through his early geeky inspirations, Mm -hmm. uh, how he became a Doctor Who fan. We talked talked to him about... Uh, becoming involved in sort of fan productions and how that led eventually to his work with Big Finish and then eventually on the TV series itself. A must for Doctor Who fans everywhere. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so, without any further ado, here it is, a very special Two Geeks, Two Beers, or Three Geeks, Three Beers, yes. with Nicholas Briggs. <laughs> Authentic sound effect. <laughs> well, hello. Uh, once again, for a very special episode, we have expanded our ranks to three geeks, three beers. <laughs> three beers. Uh, joined by a very special guest, Mr. Nick Briggs. Hello. How, hi, Nick. How are you? I'm good. Yes, I'm at the. What's the time? It's quarter past seven. Yeah. Mm. At the end of quite a busy day. Mm. I imagine most of your days are very, very busy. No, no. I just uh, <laughs> lounge around. No, yeah, yeah, you're right. They are busy. Yeah. Well, we wanted to start um, this conversation by <laughs> by chatting to you a little bit about your inspirations. So uh, you've made a career in the sci-fi and fantasy genres. Yeah. What were the uh, the things that originally inspired you? When I was a kid, um, well, it's really, it's just obvious, really. I was just mad about Doctor Who sure sure <laughs> and um, and but I also loved uh, uh, war movies yeah which my dad and I had a real bond over we would watch war movies and he would mostly comment about how the because uh, he worked in the tyre industry 
and how how the tyres on the the lorries were anachronistic. <laughs> he said, "Oh, they didn't have radials like that. That's a double ply." But well, I didn't know what he was talking about. Those that's an American lorry, but those are English tyres. You know, get all that sort of nonsense. How can you tell? They're just whizzing past the camera. You know. And but now, as a Doctor Who fan, you've got that obviously incredible <laughs> eye for oh, that doesn't fit, and that doesn't work. And I've seen that yogurt pot before. <laughs> yeah, um, and westerns as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so I loved all that, and there were there were uh, lots of uh, TV programs on in those days that were sort of completely mindless adventure stories, you know, like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and Lost in Space and Tarzan. <laughs> Vehicle velocity now equivalent to speed of light. Velocity now increasing beyond EM radiation. Next week, a visit to a hostile planet on Lost in Space. And just the other day, you know, you realise when you're with younger people, like, like your good selves, that you have so many sort of cultural references and, and you mention them to, to younger people and they don't know what you're talking about. So the other day, I had to explain to one of our production assistants, Alfie Shaw, who also produces for us, is a really nice guy. Um, I just thought I'd mention that in case he's watching, <laughs> watching listening. He's, he's always watching. Um, uh, I mentioned Daktari. Have you ever heard of that? Right now, no, yeah. Of course, you know. So now you have to explain yeah. it to us. And I said, oh, Daktari, don't you remember Daktari? <laughs> I said, it was kind of, it was like set in Africa and it was it was like a, a zoo hospital and there was Clarence, the cross-eyed lion and uh, and, uh, and, and it was probably quite racist. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I think you can stop. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 look, the theme tune's bound to be on YouTube. Yeah. So I got on and then it was all that sort of, Daktari. <laughs> all this kind of but there's a reason oh. that one hasn't been rebooted by yeah. Netflix yet In, yeah. indeed yeah. yes <laughs> yes no but stuff like that mm. you know what I mean that none of it bears any close examination now but it was all about adventure and firing guns and ducking and things blowing up mm. and you know countdowns and all that mm. sort of stuff so that was very much the kind of storytelling uh, I grew up with so in comparison with all that stuff Doctor Who was really quite intellectual <laughs> <laughs> so that's to me what stories are and really to a greater or, or smaller extent I've been um, sort of re- reproducing that kind of stuff in mm. my own way Ever since, I mean, I started uh, writing when I was very, very young. I would uh, just, you know, I remember coming home from school. Like, this is like uh, uh, junior school or maybe even infant school. And I'd say, that this evening I'm writing a book. <laughs> right. So I would get, um, I used to be drawing all the time. I, you know, in those days you didn't have computers and stuff, so kids were always drawing, yeah. scribbling and colouring in and all this kind of thing. And I would get some of my drawing book paper and fold it in half uh, and then staple it yeah. and then draw a cover, yeah. think of a yeah. title, open it up. And I would write enough story just to fit yeah. into the book. So sometimes the story got very rushed at the end and other times maybe a few drawings got in there and yeah. then they went up the hill and came down again. You know, because there's, oh, there's three more pages. You know, it, was, it was a vital experience yeah. for writing scripts, obviously. How to pad well, effectively. Or to speed up really quickly, yeah. yes. Although it doesn't really work on audio if you just write all the words closer together. Sure. <laughs> just speak faster. It's like when you have dub- dubbing in those um, sort of 
Asian cartoons and they do the American dubbings. And, and it doesn't quite quick, scan. They do loads of, loads of talking yeah. and slow talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so, so that was it. And not, not really books. I had mm. put a lot of books read to me. Mm. It, was, it was difficult for me to... I was never... Um, uh, I wasn't a quick or, or... You know, I didn't learn to read quickly mm. I'm trying to think of the words but I've had a beer <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you I love you all whoever you are um, you know what I mean and, and even now bizarrely even most of my life is reading I, re- reading is not I don't easily read a book mm. you know yeah. I do read books mm. <laughs> I read a green book <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know but I'm not a, a massive reader yeah. and I think that um, my parents were very concerned about my, my reading age I remember when I went to uh uh, we moved house from um, down south. We moved to Burton on Trent, and my school assessment went with me. And my mother told me that I was nine months behind in my reading age. You know, when I was I don't know, however old I was when episode one of The Curse of Peladon right. was on, because that's when we moved. Because we moved into the house, and I'd missed the first five minutes of The Curse of Peladon. That's how that's how I navigate my entire life. Yeah, by Doctor so, Who. Yes, yeah. and then of course when Sylvester McCoy's era ended, I'm completely screwed. I can't. I don't know what year anything happened in that. <laughs> anything between sort of eighty nine and ninety six? No, no, clue. no clue at all. Yeah. No, might as well have not happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was a waste of time. <laughs> um, but so I had a lot of books read to me, and I just—it was all solid adventure fair. Like there was a public school thing called Jennings and Derbyshire. Have you ever heard of them? No. Um, I didn't go to public school, so it all seemed very odd to me. <laughs> um, and yeah, all that sort of stuff, and the Enid Blyton stuff, you know, which I had to read to my son. Yeah. Which the only virtue of it is, it's like Neighbours in that any <laughs> peril is over within a page. You know, in right. Neighbours they always have these dread. I haven't seen Neighbours for years and years, but when I used to be forced at gunpoint to watch <laughs> it, I, you know, there would be some dreadful. Thing would happen, mm. and then by the next episode, it was all right. Yeah, it's like Downton Abbey, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, he's got a spine injury; he'll never walk again. Hold on, I've got a bit of a feeling in my foot. I seem to be getting better. Just so, oh God. Anyway, so Doctor Who obviously loomed large in your life mm. from a very early age, but particularly you had a fascination with the Daleks. Mm. Where did that spring from? What was it about the Daleks in particular that fascinated you? Well, it's difficult to know what you were thinking as a child, <laughs> and I've said many times before I did seem to be overly preoccupied with the voice mm. I do remember my first strongest memory of the Daleks is reading the Dalek book which was that big blue book that was released in about 1964 or something mm. I don't think that it was bought for me I think I got it second hand from a, a, a cousin or something because it came with scribbles and things on right. it you know where that's part of the artistic style was to miss out some, like, like that some of the Daleks viewed from above I'm looking at the one in the corner there um, <laughs> only seemed to have one light on them mm. you know what I mean and so someone had drawn the other light on the, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in red pencil yeah. <laughs> um, so but what was it about them I'm, I'm afraid it just comes down to the sort of dull stuff one says about the Daleks which is that they're great villains and they're, they're sort of attractive because they're so, they're so definitely one thing, aren't mm. they? You know where you are. Mm. And I think children always look for clarity and certainty. And also, you know, forgive me, something I've said before as well. It's difficult to find anything <laughs> that I haven't said about the Daleks. Um, they're like a, um, a symbol to indicate to children 
what's supposed to be scary. Mm. So it's like the Daleks are like putting a sheet over you and going, woo woo, I'm a ghost. Mm. Now, no child actually really finds that scary. Mm. But when you do that to a kid, mm. they know that they're meant to be scared and yeah. they play along. And the Daleks are a little bit like that. Although people do talk about how they were genuinely terrified. Make no attempt to capture them. They are to be exterminated. You understand? Exterminated. I understand. I can only think. I remember being terrified by that chap, um, Lesterson, in Power of the Daleks, mm. where he's sort of hiding from them and, you know, all that. I remember his reaction his to them. His fear was scary. Exactly. Yeah. And same with Patrick Charlton. I mean, seeing, finally seeing again after years and years that one surviving episode of Evil of the Daleks, when before the Daleks come out of the, you know, the, the doors there in the laboratory. Um, I was just doing a brilliant dawn mine. You think you'd know how to work on audio by now? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, and, and, you know, his eyes are almost watering with fear, mm. aren't they? Because he's keeping them open for so long and, he's, and he's, you can see he's suspecting it's the Daleks. And I think it's the fearful reaction that other characters had towards the Daleks that I found scary. Because when, when you're a kid, you, you look for your emotional cues from the significant adult in the room, mm. which in that case was the doctor, wasn't it? I know the misery they cause, the destruction. Recognise the doctor! Recognise him! I am your servant! I am your servant! So, um... I know that from my own experience with my son, that the only times that he has ever seemed to be really scared, especially when he was very, very young, when he was a toddler, was if I accidentally displayed a level of distress to him, mm. my own distress. I remember once being in the shower with him and I accidentally got the temperature wrong. <laughs> Luckily he was out of the way, but freezing cold water, yeah. I was sort of sitting in the shower and he was standing next to me. Freezing cold water hit me mm. and I just, my face contorted and I let out a little suppressed yelp yeah. and he screeched, yeah. a piercing screech because he could see me distressed. The other time it happened, I can remember, I was testing out the ring modulator for, I think it was probably for a Doctor Who read-through and I was making sure the speaker that I attached to it and everything works. I set it up in the flat and I, and I got a bit of audio feedback and I went, oh, like that. And again, he screamed yeah. like a banshee because he saw me in distress. And you see that. Now, even now he's turning 10 very very soon and I see him observing me to you know and that's what we do as kids with our favourite fictional adults mm. don't we we observe them to, to get the temperature of the scene mm. Captain Kirk's very much like that as well um, yeah. William Shatner was really good at looking distressed yeah. and fearful wasn't right he the camera and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> insisting I think, think this is a shot of me yeah. with the light on my eyes <laughs> And on the on the ring modulator, when did you start <laughs> on the topic of ring modulators? When did you um, first start tinkering with that kind of thing and doing your own Dalek voices? Well, um, my brother, who's nine years older than me, um, was playing around with a reel-to-reel tape recorder mm. quite early on, and he and his mates all used to do their version of jukebox jury you've heard of that mm. you, yes I do know what jukebox jury and so but when he wasn't around I used to play with it and I and play with the um, tape recorder and um, 
do my own dramas where I was doing all the voices or I got a few friends unwillingly to do them and um, unwilling on their part <laughs> I was desperate for people to indulge in my weird fictional <laughs> fantasies um, but uh, don't take that out of context <laughs> <laughs> just that one quote <laughs> just, just exactly. this is what they had to say about Theresa May um, so, and so I would experiment with how to do a Dalek voice and I just thought oh is it just shouting is it you know just distorting the microphone and but of course it was never quite right. So it wasn't until I was with a bunch of fans in the 80s um, and we were doing a thing called audio visuals. Mm. It was called uh, um, the visuals being through the audio medium, <laughs> uh, which I ended up playing the doctor in. And um, I also did the Daleks as well. But I said, if we're doing the Daleks, we've got to get the thing, you know. And we eventually went, oh, it's a long story of going around all these electronics shops and music shops in Southampton. And no one knew what we were talking about. I remember there was one guy who said, oh, yeah, the noise of the Dalek. Went, yeah, yeah, and he went, oh, yeah, I can help you. Went, oh, brilliant, brilliant. So he said, yeah, and he got a keyboard out and he kind of went, on the keyboard. And he went, yeah, and he went, that sounds a bit like a Dalek. No, no, a Dalek voice. Well, I don't know how to do that. But anyway, we went to this shop called Arc Electronics. It's a long time since I've remembered that name. Must be the beer talking. With a couple of old hippies there. And probably a strange smell of something they'd been smoking. I don't know. I can't speak. And uh, and they, he said, "Have you got a ring modulator?" And the guy said, "No." He said, "But there was a circuit diagram for one in the last edition of one of my magazines. Actually, let me go and have a look." And he said, "Oh yeah." He said, "I can make that for you." <laughs> really? Yes. Well, how long would it take? He said, "Well, I don't know. Come back next next week." Oh my God. It's like someone, that, you know, yeah. going back to Evil of the Daleks, uh, was promising to turn base metal into gold. Yeah. This is just incredible. And we went back in a week's time and there was this sort of plastic box that he shoved a load of wires in and he said, right, this, this sort of screwdriver I've got for you there, you just tune the thing there, that changes the frequency of it. So, of course, when we first, we connected a microphone to it and it sort of, and then we sort of bit by bit tuned the frequency down and eventually it started doing the, Dalek voice. I immediately started doing the um, the speech from Dalek Invasion of Earth. You know, we are the masters of Earth. Yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, and also from the movie Twenty One Fifty Eight. Mm. Attention, survivors of London. Mm. This is your final warning. Leave yeah. your hiding places. Show yourself in the streets. Blah blah blah. And I was doing all that. You know, and it was just I was just having a ball. It was amazing. <laughs> so that was the first time. Yeah that I encountered and then the first person who used it in anger as it were <laughs> was Michael Wisher who we mm. got to be in our first Dalek story it's amazing and he just yeah, came in and did a bit of Dalek for us and then I thought I think I'll be doing this from now <laughs> <laughs> I'll show Michael how it's done <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank you Michael <laughs> yeah. well the whole audio visuals thing mm. fascinates me how in a way it did evolve eventually into what you're doing now with it did Big yes. Finish. Yes. Um, it was certainly the catalyst for it. Yeah, how did that all sort of come together and how did you get involved with all of that? Um, there was a, a chap called Bill Baggs, who I, think, I still think there is a chap called Bill Baggs, but there certainly was then. <laughs> and he um, became a friend of my best friend from school, a lovely chap called Nick Layton. Uh, and while I went off to college to be an actor and drama school, and he got to know other Doctor Who fans because Nick and I were the only two Doctor Who fans in the world, we thought. <laughs> and then he met these other people in the Southampton local group and there was a power struggle as there often is in these Doctor Who Appreciation Society yeah. local groups. And Bill, Bill was very young, you know, he was 
he was 16 or under and he managed to usurp uh, you know mm. the power from someone much older and and I remember my friend Nick saying when he spoke to Bill on the phone he thought he was about he said I thought he was about 42 or something which <laughs> at that age mate, you know we thought was like ancient yeah um but then he met him and he used to see young kid. But anyway, Bill just wanted to organise things. I think Bill mainly wanted to tell people what to do. That was his comfort right. zone, really. Um, but he got interested in stories. And so he, he wanted to be with the important Doctor Who fans. So he got a load of people who either ran Dwas mm. or had run Dwas uh, to be in them. He thought, I'll get important Doctor Who fans in but one thing he didn't reckon on just because they're important Doctor Who fans it didn't mean that they could act sure I mean he struck lucky uh, with Richard Marsden who was you know who ended up editing Blue Peter mm. who was a fa- who's a fantastic actor actually mm. he was brilliant as playing a companion and Gary Russell was a child actor so he was pretty darn good and, mm. and could write and had written a story but then they got Stephen Payne mm. who you know used to edit Starburst millions of years ago to be the Doctor and Stephen you know speaking clearly wasn't one of his uh, greatest talents and so acting was fun. And, and to Stephen's credit he absolutely thought they were bonkers to get him to do it mm. but he just thought oh, well why not so I think, luck. Yeah, yeah I think the reason they gave him the job is because he had curly hair right. <laughs> so like, oh he's a bit like Tom Baker isn't yeah. he because he's got curly hair oh, he must spout like this <laughs> um, it doesn't really translate to audio so well either somehow not no mm. um, and so my friend Nick introduced me to Bill and then Bill, in his inimitable way, said to me, uh, I've got something to tell you. Um, <laughs> I've decided that you're going to be the doctor now. I thought, wow. Oh, do I get a choice? <laughs> so, um, but I was thrilled, actually. Mm. But I thought, well, should it, this is like an amateur thing, and I'm meant to be being a professional actor. I thought, well, nothing much is going on, so. I think we're levelling out. I feel sick. Uh, we're drifting slowly now. Down this time abyss thing? Yes, Nadia. How do you know my name? Well, Nadia, that's... Uh, Don't touch me. I wasn't... Something about you has changed, hasn't it? What do you mean? The way you talk. I thought that. Don't listen to him, Greg. He's trying to trick you. But he knew my name too. I realise that this must be very difficult for you. I don't have to listen to you. Greg was right. You killed the doctor. You set a trap for him. And when he fell for it, thinking you needed help, you, you aged him to death. Whoever needed help is still out there. That's who brought us here, wherever here You're not is. the same person. I am. People just don't change. You have, Nadia. What about that linguistics book you were reading? What's that, Greg? Look, I just wanted to forget everything about Homeworld. I'm not there anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. But every time I heard my own voice, it reminded me again. So I decided I had to change it. Change the way I speak. There you are. People do change. Not quite the same thing, though, is it? No, I didn't change by choice. You see, our friend out there is a time traveller by genetic design. What? That, that blobby thing? Yes. It didn't understand my inability to traverse time without the protection of the TARDIS. Lucky I'm a Time Lord. Why? Well, because it means I can regenerate the cells of my body. It'll save time and energy if you accept that. Yes, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Yes, Nadia, I would. Now. Don't misunderstand me. I admire an inquiring mind. It's very healthy to... Don't pe- give me that. But, young lady... Don't talk to me like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you must understand that there's a lot at stake here. What are you talking about? Well, I can't remember as much as I'd like to. That's what's so infuriating. 
So yeah, I, I did it and got involved in the writing immediately. I mean, the first thing that happened was he gave me a script to do and I read it. I said, well, this is dreadful. <laughs> and he said, well, have you got, a, how can we put it right? And I said, well, you need to do this. And I think, I think what happens here, this blah, 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 blah. And he said, okay. And then he sort of gave me a typewriter and sat next to me and said, well, go on then. <laughs> so I thought, oh God. So sitting next to this 16 year old and I was like 21 or two. Yeah. So it seemed, the, the age gap <laughs> yeah. seemed enormous. That's enormous, enormous yeah, yeah. 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 It's, I mean, now, yeah. you know, Bill is sort of, in the same age bracket yeah. as me, really, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, I rewrote that, and then I kind of thought, yeah, I've been writing all my life, doing stuff. I wrote while I was at drama school. I did a lot of writing. The course I did was a lot about dramatic structure, not just about the craft of of uh, acting. Mm. You know, we had to identify what was important in a plot and how plots worked and all that kind of malarkey. So, yeah, so I started writing stories for it. And then my friend Nick had a porter studio. I don't know how interesting any of this is. It just happens to be true. We'll cut it. <laughs> just speed up. <laughs> 1.5. And um, so I, st- I got fascinated by that technology, at four-track recording. So I started borrowing that off him and or going around to his place while he was at work. And all of this was done while I was on the dole. <laughs> Being an unsuccessful actor. So I just started to learn all these skills. I mean, I'd been messing around with tape recorders all my childhood anyway. And, uh, and really, audiovisuals, to cut a hugely long story and boring story short, um, it taught me the baseline of all the skills that mm. I now use at Big Finish, which is why now really aside from I can't design a cover really mm. although I could bash something together but it wouldn't be much good I can do every job associated with a big finished production mm. which is you know and I used to do every job yeah. so before I was executive producer I would Gary Russell would let me write direct sound design and compose the music for exhausting yeah oh, I loved it yeah and I would do sort of like three or four of those a year mm. and that would that would keep me going mm. But I don't have the time to do the sound design now. I'm exec producer. I still do do music from time to time, mm. even though I'm not really a musician. But uh, somehow I manage some play <laughs> noises. <I'm there. laughs> and uh, then there was Mythmakers, which mm. is again among your sort of earliest Doctor Who related work. Again, how did that come together? How did you get involved with that? Well, that was through audiovisuals because I was um, when Bill launched those. Mm. He did a convention in Southampton and he got me to do some presenting at the convention and also we decided to do some comedy (laughs) sketches. A big thing in politics in those days was the militant tendency in Labour, which is like the equivalent of momentum now. It was a sort of radical Trotskyist, whatever. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I don't know what the momentum's are. The Trotskyist, I don't know. What I just want to say, you got yourself into politics. Yeah, just straight up. (laughs) And Theresa May (laughs) has gone. Um, uh, so the joke was that, and John Nathan Turner had recently taken over Doctor mm. Who, and so I came on as uh, the uh, the militant Graham Williams tendency, right. uh, and so I had some plastic jacket and a Tom Baker scarf on. I was like, "We demand more jokes and more silly, pointless plots. We don't want any continuity." And you know, and it was just a mad thing like that. And I think we also did a version of. There was a programme called Did You See, mm. which you may have seen. As Doctor Who fans, you'll have seen clips of it yeah. with Ludovic Kennedy talking about Earthshock or whatever. Mm. And we did a comedy sketch based on that. <laughs> it was a riot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my impersonation of Ludovic Kennedy was um, easily forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Keith Barnfather had been r- roped in to video the convention for Bill. And... Um, 
and the camera was so ancient that uh, when I saw the footage, the any light caused an imprint on the tube of the camera. So if you didn't move for, you know, 30 seconds, when you finally moved, you were still there and moving Screen away. For, you know what I mean? Oh, it was no. terrible. Um, but anyway, Keith was had started doing Myth Makers with a um, presenter who used to be on Channel 4. I want to say Keith Harrison, is that right? Or Harris. Could well be. The one Keith who Harris wasn't Orville. No, not oh no. Keith Harris <laughs> is the Orville. Maybe, I was yeah. gonna say the one who isn't with Orville. Yeah, yeah. So so Keith Harrison, Harrison. Orville. So it's Harrison. Keith okay. Harrison, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Who was uh, yeah, he did he was one of the first Channel Four announcers mm. and Keith had worked with him at Channel Four and so he got him in for a bit of money to do this stuff. But his problem with Keith Harrison <laughs> and Orville um, was that will you be my friend? Um, was that even though he was a really good interviewer, knew his trade, you know, mm. been doing it for years, he didn't know anything about Doctor Who and right. he'd do a cursory bit of research. So he'd make silly mistakes like, you know, he'd interview um, John Leeson in the morning. This is what he did. John Leeson one morning and Michael Wisher in the afternoon. Mm. And uh, when Michael Wisher when one or the other of them talked about being in the corner of the studio with a lip mic, he went, oh, so you were like sitting together. And, uh, and of course, all Doctor Who fans go, no, K-9 and the Daleks never appeared together. <laughs> How would he know that? Yeah. He's just making a perfectly reasonable yeah. assumption. So Keith sort of wanted to avoid that. Yeah. Uh, probably they were too expensive, these things. You know. <laughs> and so I, I, he asked me to do it. Uh, he phoned me up because that's what people used to do in those days. Um, phone me up on my mum's phone. And, um, yeah, at home. Not my mum's, the, the phone in the home. It was just the phone, was it? it? was the phone. I'm over-explaining the phone. I don't know what, why. Can we talk more about the phone? I can't remember. It was, what does the phone look like? It was sort of blue, <laughs> as you remember. But it was in a very dark corner, so I was never sure. <laughs> Didn't like to put the light on. Um, you know, saving power. Um, uh, and he said, oh, would you like to do it? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, there's no money in it. Oh, great. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I did it. And, and, and after a while, there was a tiny bit of money in it, but not much. Mm. And I interviewed Nick Courtney, which went very badly. <laughs> right. Because Nick is the most sensitive, lovely human being. Mm. And he picks, off, picks up, he used to pick up a vibe off other people. And I was nervous and awkward, and right. so he and he was a very shy man actually, and he became very nervous and awkward and and quite grumpy, uh. and then that upset me because it was the lovely <laughs> brigadier, and he was frankly being an ass. Yeah. I mean, we we sat in in um, his car between filming breaks or whatever it was, and and I went to talk to him. He just picked up the telegraph and opened it up, and oh. disappeared behind a newspaper. Wow. And I thought, God, he really hates me. He gave you the book off. Oh, he did. <laughs> <laughs> but then a month later, after it had been edited and it was out, this embarrassing, awkward mm. interview, where incidentally I first discovered that I was going bald at the back. That's how long I... I knew my, my hairline was receding. <laughs> to make matters worse. Yeah. It started with me looking up to the monument in, you know, the one from Mordred Undead. And yeah. I'm like this, the camera. And then I turn around and go... <laughs> but I remember looking at it thinking, oh my God, there's like a little sixpence worth of gap at the back. How things have changed. That's an audio representation of my head, folks, honestly. I'm not slapping my thigh. Um, yeah, and Nick saw me at a Dwas convention that I was doing some interviewing at, and he just greeted me like a long lost friend. And I thought, I thought it was like someone behind me or something. I kind of moved out the way. Nick, 
we were bloody marvellous, weren't we? And we became sort of firm friends right at that moment. And so years later, when we'd done many Mythmakers, I went back and we were extending the duration from half an hour to an hour. I went back and shot some stuff and lampooned the whole thing about him being awkward. And yeah. we, we actually had him in the car with me doing the newspaper and saying, get on with it and all this kind of stuff. And we... And it's lovely. I mean, and I, you know, Nick and I got on really, really well. It was lovely, man. In 1984, I found myself in a similar position to this. I was doing my first Mythmakers interview, and I sat myself down in a car next to the celebrity, the star guest I was going to interview. And I sat and waited, and he was reading the newspaper, pretty much as he is now. And I sat there, and he read the newspaper. And do you know something? He didn't say a word to me. I thought to myself, what a miserable git. Still, the years have passed and now Nick Courtney and I have become the best of friends. We bump into each other at conventions. We have a pint, you know. We're Excuse me, will you stop waffling on and run opening titles, please? Run titles. And you know, as a Doctor Who fan, you suddenly plunged into this yes. world where you're, you're meeting a lot of your kind of heroes and yes. people you admire. Uh, what was it was of, horrible. Well, no, but what, what, what were some of the most like memorable experiences? And was it always a positive experience to they say don't meet your heroes? Was it always? Yeah, it was. It was horrible because I, I couldn't relax. Yeah, uh, and so I was always there was a revelatory moment, which I'm always grateful to Colin Baker for, um, where he said to me while we were doing the interview uh, I was trying to check with him what he wanted to do next we were wandering around the Iron Bridge location I think it's called um, for Thingy of the Rani whichever one it was Mark of the Mark Rani that's right. um, or was it Kevin of the Rani <laughs> um, and he said you're the boss you tell me mm. and he and I think some people think Colin's got a bit of a reputation for being difficult mm. and he can be quite gruff but he's very certain he gave me huge confidence and he treated me like I was the bee's knees the mm. whole time. Mm. And um, then the next one I did was um, Sophie Aldred. Mm. And Sophie and I are the same age. Mm. And somehow, you know, spending a day with a girl who's the same age as you, <laughs> uh, that's an old fashioned way of referring to a woman. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we had a cracking time. Yeah. We re and we also, she was from the area that I've lived in London for, for a long time, in the Broccoli area. Mm. Um, so we just, we just, asked, and she's lovely. Also famously lovely. Yeah, yeah. famously lovely, easygoing. And we're sort of, you know, really chatty and friendly to this day. I mean, you know, like Colin, she is one of the, the few Doctor Who celebs who, you know, not that I necessarily want to, but who I could just phone up to ask about something not related to Doctor Who, I could just chat to, you know. I'm Sophie Aldred, and this is called Challenge Sophie. Now, I'm here to pick up Nick Briggs, because apparently he's going to interview me today. <laughs> More fool him. So let's have a look out. He looks like an, a likely character. Morning. Hop in. I'll hop in. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you realise that you've got uh, a cameraman and a sound man in the back of your car. <gasps> oh my goodness me, so I have. <clears throat> Must be myth -makers. Right, are you ready? Yeah. Oh, Hold I'll on, just, boys. I'll belt up, shall I? Oh yes, please. Just belt We've up. had lots of letters about that. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've got to go very slowly here because of poor old cameraman. Oh. <laughs> Preferably not backwards. <laughs> yeah, and she did end up living uh, very close to where I 
lived in Brockley for a while. In fact, for the first big Finnish play I directed with her in, she uh, phoned me up and said, since I live around the corner from you, do you want me to give you a lift <laughs> to the studio? And I said, yeah, that would be great. So she turned up and she was um, massively pregnant. <laughs> And there she was driving me to the studio. And I, I remember thinking, getting into her little car with her bearing me on the fit of her bump under the steering wheel. I said, I feel this is round the wrong way somehow, <laughs> Sophie. Ridiculous. We just, we just spoke about all our former relationships and things, right. and all sorts of filthy gossip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that changed things for me. And after that moment, and I can't remember how they go in sequence after that, I did start to relax. Yeah. But up until then, it had been excruciating. I <laughs> right. mean, really horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Caroline Ford, who's lovely, and I get on well with, you know, I remember I accidentally, she had an arrangement in her house where there was a bathroom and it, you went indoors to it and there was a door, she'd go into the bathroom and you'd lock it. And then you could come out of another door no. that went to the outside world. Yeah. World. The garden is what they call it. People who haven't been drinking beer call it the garden. garden. I'm calling it the outside world. (laughs) I'm just going into the outside world. Um, So I locked both doors. And so no one in their house could get into the bathroom. And it has to be said that she did not see the funny side of that. I could see her struggling not to go, you know, she's like, well, we'll just have to break one of the doors we? <laughs> they shouldn't have such a complicated bathroom system exactly well, do you know that's what I was thinking but I couldn't say that to Susan Foreman <laughs> also we, we had to remount the recording because on the first day uh, someone we were doing it with two cameras but they were doing live cutting between cameras and um, in those days cameras were connected to their video recorders by huge what they called umbilical cords mm. which carried sound and vision so yeah. which is why they're extra thick um, <laughs> and there's a lot of vision in that pipe um, <laughs> um, so, and, they, and they were walking away from the camera and they were a long way away from us and we were all going no don't, and, they, and the umbilical was tight and we were going get back and they were going what what coming forwards and they, doink, they pulled the thing over and it smashed oh, no. on the ground and they broke the, the circuit board in the camera so we had to go back another day and film, and the only problem with going back on the other day was that I was suffering from massive food poisoning. Bill Baggs's mum had served up some stew, and it had, I don't know what was in it, but I never ate anything she cooked again, that's for sure. Uh, and yeah, I was hor- I was having a medicine called kaolin and morphine. Have you ever heard of that? Mm, why not Which, morphine? Yeah, well, so the morphine dulls the pain, and the kaolin, it's like clay or something. Right. It blocks your... Stops that. Can you get that on? Right. Can you get on the NHS now? Or is that is that taken <laughs> off the market? I reckon it's um, lethal. <laughs> and probably has shortened my life by ten years. Um, but yeah, so I was also, and one of the reasons I had to go to the loo was to throw up. Yeah. So um, so I was ill as well as clueless and rubbish and and door locking. <laughs> and she was and she was cross with me. It was it was horrific. Oh. Absolutely horrific. She'll never listen to this podcast. <laughs> no one does. And John Pertwee was terrified. Mm. Absolutely really? terrified. He wouldn't let me interview him. He kept stopping the interviews. No, no, no. Let's talk about my film career. <laughs> and I kept thinking, what film? <laughs> I can't talk about Death of the Daleks. Yeah, exactly. But there he was sitting there and his... his um, it would have been... Good Lord. It would have been that purple 
velvet jacket from Planet of the Daleks. Yeah. Which I've since worn, worn. because wow. Mark Gatiss let me wear it in Peter Capaldi's <laughs> trailer. As <Clang>. you do. <laughs> <laughs> Double clang. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you get to the, the late 90s and Big Finish uh, get this license to produce official Doctor Who on audio. I know. Yeah. You're selected to write the first story. Yes. Which at the time, I know it put a few sort of noses out of joint that it wasn't it you know was, all the controversy yeah. yeah so I mean but I mean when that happened how did you then feel about it were you, were you thinking oh okay I feel or were you thinking well I'm going to show them I'm going to write the best bloody Doctor Who story there's ever been but the story goes yeah. <laughs> that Gary Russell well so Gary <laughs> Russell came round to my place yeah. and told me that we got the licence mm. and I was oh <gasps> And he said, yeah, no, no, you can't write it. <laughs> I went, oh, why not? And he said, because only BBC recognised writers can write it, only people who've written novels and right. things. I said, well, this isn't this. I've been writing audio drama for years, and, you know. And, and he said, I know, but that, that's just the way it is, you know. I went, oh, God. He said, but, you know, I see you you're directing them all, he actually said. And I thought, oh, all of them. Anyway. Um, and I said, well, I can do, you know, sound design and music. He said, yeah, yeah, well, you're down for all that, mate. And I said, oh, but I can't write it now. Now, Gary and I used to live five minutes apart from each other in Brockley. And um, by the time he got back to his place, I'd already thought up an idea I could do. And, um, and he phoned me and he said, look, I've been thinking about it and we need to keep it secret. He said, we need to get someone started on a script. And since you're so keen, um, maybe... I said, I've already got an idea. He said, I knew, I knew you would have. He said, in spite of the fact I told you no, I knew you were... So, because I'm, um, I know it's difficult to believe this because I'm sitting here with a pint of beer and um, chatting away and talking too much and saying lots of stupid things. <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually incredibly shy and lacking in any confidence. But what I do is go three, two, one and jump in. Mm-hmm. But with the exception of Doctor Who, because I have such a route down my life, you know, straight to my childhood of this sort of obsession with it. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm confident that I'm good at it, but I don't... It's very difficult for me to see the negatives mm. because I just have such a passion to do it that it almost doesn't occur to me that it's a problem <laughs> that's terrible, whether it's good or not. I just have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I felt about this, which is why I was really shocked when, quite understandably, Paul Cornell, who was a you know, massively um, successful... Uh, writer who was the darling of the fans really at the time and probably still is um, he he was uh, very much taken aback when when Gary announced to a meeting of other writers who he wants to get interested mm. in it that I was going to write it mm. you know and I was really shocked at the lack of um, charity in the room yeah it was a big room full of a lot of writers and the only person who was nice to me was Justin Richards mm. And he just went, oh, well, I hardly knew Justin at all. Yeah. And, he, you know, and the moment uh, Sirens of Time was released, uh, Justin phoned me up and just said, I love this. Will you write a BBC book? And I went, oh, Christ, wow. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me right until the Dalek generation, yeah. years many, and years later, later right. that I finally did it. He phoned me up and said, look, it's the anniversary <laughs> and I can get you the Daleks. What do you think? I yeah. said, you have me now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so it seems... But, you know, if I'd been one of those other people in the room, if I'd been Paul Cornell and yeah. written, I don't know, however many novels he'd yeah. written, certainly beautifully well-received novels, 
and you know think well aren't I the person you should come to he said you know come on it should he the words he said were which he'll hate me for saying bless him Uh, I hold no animosity about it I'm just looking back on it as an emotional curiosity now but he just said he said it needs to be something special and he turned around and looked at me and said and frankly darling that ain't you and I just thought I'd never been spoken to like that before I mean I just thought God, you really hate me, don't you? I can't. And the look on his face, yeah. I mean, he said, it should be Terence Dix. Yeah. And I just thought, well, that's like asking God to write it. <laughs> He's never going to do it, is he? Yeah. You know, so, so anyway, so I suppose I did, I don't know whether I thought, oh, I'll show them yeah. at all. I just thought, I better just get on and do this. Yeah. Get your head down. Yeah. And I loved doing it. Yeah. And just to be able to type the words TARDIS and Gallifrey and yeah. Doctor without, you know, without feeling it was just for me yeah, yeah. yeah. I love Sirens of Time I think it's great it's the only big finish I owned on cassette tape yeah well there were a few I think it went right up to Genocide Machine or yeah. further but yeah you alright I think I've broken something what about you yes I'm fine thanks oh, yeah, I rather think I broke your fall oh sorry I'll survive oh, can you two help me up Yes, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Careful! Oh, we're going to make a fine team with you two having to help me walk. I do hope you're not going to be tediously noble and suggest we leave you down here. The thought had crossed my mind. Where are we going to go anyway? Isn't it obvious? I suppose it is, really. You mean find the Temporal? Well, they've obviously got it here somewhere. Perhaps it's the source of their time travel power. Undoubtedly, I'd say. Yes, yes it's. Uh, oh, sorry. No, sorry. No, 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 you, no, no, you, no, 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 you were oh, there first, oh, anyway. Oh, 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 okay. Well, well, I was just going to say, from what we ever heard, it's evidently being kept here against its will. Maybe if we find a way to set it free. I, I think that's a little rash at this stage. All we know for certain is that Gallifrey has been conquered by these Knights of Alicia and that the Temperan is involved somehow. And so are we. Come on. There should be a lift around here somewhere. Best foot forward, doctors. Oh, oh. I think it holds up. Something like 20 years later, which is yeah, mad I mean, to think yeah. about. I think I was irritated at the time because there was there were a lot of important fans who were a little bit disparaging of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I felt that Gary sort of tacitly took on board their criticism as a, a baseline and would sort of approach conversations with people along the lines of, well, okay, we've done that. Now now we're going to really... I thought, well, well don't, <laughs> yeah. don't kind of make a baseline yeah. of your assumption that what I did was dreadful. Yeah. It's... I, I don't think it's the biggest for many years it was the biggest seller because it's number one yeah. people are collectors and they start with number one but it's uh, I don't think it's the biggest seller now but it's certainly up there mm. you know certainly did extremely well mm. but um, yeah we were sort of feeling our way really I mean and I, I did I wrote and directed and did the sound design and the music for it um, that's just crazy isn't it I remember that it was so naive we were trying to I was trying to save paper so I printed the script out mm. in two columns <laughs> right. sort of like eight points or something like that. you know and I remember this, the actors all complaining about mm. it but of course now I'm even older than they were when they did it yeah. which is terrifying I I realise why because you're blind you can't see yeah. if someone gave me a script in eight point in two mm. columns I'd say put that in the bin and get me a proper script yeah. now. otherwise I'm not doing it so actually they were extremely generous well this is a room of free perspectacled men so yes, don't worry yes, about that yes. my yeah. eyesight was fantastic until mm. I turned 40 really then it just rocketed down I was yeah 
I spent too much time staring at computers That's doing sound is. design. Yeah. You know, getting closer and closer to a sound wave. You think you'll hear it better if you, can, <laughs> if you get your eyes closer to the screen at three o'clock in the morning when you're heading towards a deadline and turning all the levels up so you can hear everything. You think, yeah, yeah, I'll listen to it tomorrow morning. You come back in the next morning and it's deafening. <laughs> you think, how much damage have I done to my hearing? So your hearing, your eyesight, it's That's all it. shot in the I'm name just, of a big finish. I'm just a shell of a man. <laughs> Again, out of context quote. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, that is your strap line. Nick Briggs confesses he's just a shell of a man. So, I've said it even clearer for you. Thank, you. thank you. So looking back on your whole uh, big finish career, What's the one? Is it over? <laughs> yeah, this is this, yeah, this is what we've this come to. Right. Jason comes in and says goodbye. <laughs> so far, um, what's the Doctor Who release that you are most proud of? That you're involved with, and what's the non-Doctor Who release that you're most proud right. of? Right, I can't name one. I just can't because I can't. Give us a handful. I, I can't, yeah, um, I'm particularly proud of one that isn't. A shining example of anything. <laughs> Good stuff. But <laughs> so I'd like to sum us up. <laughs> yeah, not, that's our strap line for this podcast. Not a shining example of anything. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the first Tom Baker one I wrote, uh, mm. "Energy of the Daleks," mm. because it's um, it's the first Tom Baker one that we did. It's not the first one we released. It, it's like a. a, a for me um, in my writing skill um, a perfect encapsulation of a Doctor Who story in quite a quite a um, economic little package mm. you know coming soon from Big Finish Productions The Fourth Doctor Adventures okay sir our readings show you are now in the airlock please confirm Energy of the Daleks you are under Arrest. The beginning of cultural collapse. And it's about to get worse thanks to your friend Damien Stevens. Chronon particles detected! What are you up to, you Daleks? What is it that you hope to achieve? Answer the question! Answer! 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 You will not force me to speak! How many of you inside that thing then? Just me and the doctor. Doctor. Hello. Yes, that's me. How are you feeling? It's it's where I first realised what I do when I've written further Tom Baker ones, and controversially, I prefer the two-part ones to the four-part ones because what I like to do, what I discovered you could do, is write the best two episodes of a Tom Baker four-parter, which is episode one and episode four. Yeah. You know, there's always a lot of people running around. The, up the wrong corridor and having to double back as it were in episodes two and three yeah. and what I discovered you could do you could write episode one as episode one mm-hmm. write it like a, and then episode two in the first five to ten minutes depending on what sort of plot you've got you do a kind of handbrake turn and you do episodes two and three in the first ten minutes of episode two mm-hmm. and then the rest of episode two is episode four mm-hmm. and uh, and I found that a really once I realised that that was an effective way of doing mm-hmm. it that, that made me very excited, you know, because we'd learned that Doctor Who could be told more quickly and efficiently because of um, Russell T. Davis mm. and what he did. Well, I think it was, it was either Russell or Stephen, but I think it was Russell who said that the old form of a Doctor Who episode one is now the 
the pre-titles. It's the cold open. You basically cram 23 <laughs> minutes worth of story into, yes. into two minutes. Mm. Yes, I'm not sure I quite agree with that. But yeah, I can see the principle there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Alan Barnes, one of our script editors who I've worked with for many, many years, he's stopped doing the Doctor Who main range now, but uh, uh, so I just have to phone him up just to chat. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said any gobshite can write episode one he said because it's it's brilliant he said episode one's fantastic you set up all the mystery you ask all the questions he said it's whether you can deliver whether you can come back with something that not only makes sense within the story but also rewards the audience's expectations that's the most difficult thing that's why I personally believe and I bang on about this a lot that it's the it's the journey of a story that's most important because every time you start telling a story you set up in the audience's mind um, a set of expectations and uh, a wish list and the chances of you being able to fulfill those expectations because you've never met these thousands of people and to tick the boxes of their wish list uh, the chances of that happening are well you know very unlikely mm. so you better work so most of the audience no matter what you do you are going to in some small or large way disappoint them with your ending so you better make the journey good mm so that even if it doesn't quite that's the thing people talk about all the time well he should never have done that or they shouldn't have killed him why do yeah. I, everyone starts writing their own story yeah. in their head once they start watching listening to well, you've seen the, Game of Thrones yeah. recently is a very high profile example where people are furious about the ending but you're, but you're exactly right yeah. it's, that's what happens and we're all a bit like that it's yeah. very rarely that you you see you experience some entertainment and find the ending totally satisfying mm. Which is why I always like to cheat when I, especially when I'm doing big sagas, and never write an ending. Yeah. <laughs> I get to and I just put another cliffhanger there, which makes me go, ooh, you know. It's also guarantees that you get another series. That's sure. Yeah. Exactly. Although funnily enough, I did finish Dark Eyes mm. with a very resolute ending, and then Jason said, "No, we need more, three more box sets of this." And I thought, "I've done it. I've finished. <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's get some other people to do it." And what about a non-Doctor Who release? Oh, finish. They're no longer available, uh, but to listen to the the two Strontium Dog 2000 AD releases, they were great. They, yeah. I thought they were amazing. Yeah. I thought they were they were both written by Jonathan Clements, yeah. starring Simon Pegg. Sat with Simon Pegg, yeah, who was so moody. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was quite scary. He was he was filming Shaun of the Dead at the time. Right. So, so just at that sort of yeah. cusp of. Beca- going over the top but he hasn't even got the excuse of he's now over the top <laughs> he wasn't quite there yet no he was very you know he also wore a baseball cap indoors which uh, I always think is a bit stupid yeah but I think he's a brilliant performer and he's amazing he only did it because he had to play Johnny Alpha yeah and I think he probably found the fee and the conditions and the <laughs> professionalism a poor but uh, he certainly gave that impression yeah um, but uh, he, he was amazing yeah uh, and they're just such fantastic adventures. Jonathan Clemens' writing is brilliant in that. I, I would, you know, perhaps slightly unpleasantly say that Jonathan never really quite worked for me as a Doctor Who writer, although mm. he did some really... I liked Brave New Town and uh, Sympathy for Sympathy the Devil. Sympathy yeah. great. But it, they never really felt like Doctor Who. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's... It, they made me laugh so much. I was in one of those. So, no, I think... Was I in both of the bloody things? I remember playing a character called Thick Squid. 
Yes. Who kept every every time someone threatened him, he would just start squirting out liquid. So <laughs> and listen, I old you so gold. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff going on. Uh, Fart gags, basically. Uh, yeah. Poo gags. Poo yeah. gags. Yes. Anyone for a poo gag? <laughs> yes. Uh, ask Jamie Anderson. He's very good at poo gags. Right. <laughs> okay, we'll get him back uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> Range environments. Sublanes are available for. You have selected the blue fast track for hand luggage only. Scanning now. Is this going to take long? Anything to declare? Take a wild guess. Any firearms? No. Drugs? No. Any other illegal device? No, Snacket, I'm in a hurry. What is the purpose of your visit? What? Business or pleasure? Revenge. I'll just put business. Welcome to Milton Keynes. Bite me. And obviously I'm massively proud of all the Sherlock Holmes stuff we've done. As I've probably said in other places, the Sherlock Holmes things are important to me. Um, Not because I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes, because I am a fan of Sherlock Holmes. I'm not a huge, huge Mm. fan of Sherlock Holmes, but it's just very... It reminds me what it's like for the actors playing the Doctor. So it makes me kinder to them and more considerate. Mm. Because when you're the person, although frankly in our Sherlock Holmes is Dr. Watson has more to say because he has masses of narration. Mm. But when you're sometimes on your feet all day, having to be the cleverest character who's, who speaks fast and, and has to sound smart, it's really difficult to mm. sound smart if you're not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how tiring it is and how you have a sort of responsibility to jolly everyone along as the leading man and all that. It's it's massively exhausting, mm. so um, yeah, that that, m- that makes me think, yeah, just when the doctors get a bit irritable or tired, mm. or uh, to a point in the afternoon where things aren't quite going quite uh, as well as they'd wanted to go, to have a little bit more understanding. Mm. For, yeah. My dear Watson, will you accompany me in the morning to the gates of the jailhouse? Holmes, stay yourself. We have a case. Just chanced upon the most intriguing story. There you are, my darling. Don't call me that. You've got 20 seconds to remove yourself from my sight. My God! What's happened here? Mr. Mott, stay back. This is no sight for a lady. I'm no stranger to death. I am to be the bearer of news which shall, I fear, cause my brother no small amount of anguish. Colonel Moran. Oh, he speaks. Tread carefully. Do not stray from the path of civilization. You didn't even mention the prisoner. I should mention the prisoner. Oh my God, I'm massively proud of the prisoner. Well, I should have got that plug in. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, I, the, the prisoner was the least popular announcement we ever made. <laughs> because people were, yeah. don't touch the prisoner. Yeah, leave it alone. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, do you know, I would feel the same if I were you. Yeah. But I'm doing it and I had a compulsion to do it. Yeah. Like my signs of time sort of compulsion. And um, I, um, and then we got the the most positive. We we did, then didn't get any re- negative reaction. Mm, yeah. And the only real negative reaction I've heard of is the uh, um, Tim Beddoes who runs Network, the video mm. people, and he won't listen to it really? <laughs> to the point that I've sent him the files yeah. and the CD, and he for free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he still won't listen to it. He says it's not Patrick McGoon, is it? So I'm not interested. I said, well, obviously it's not Patrick McGoon. He's dead, isn't he? God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, and I'm doing the third series, sort of now. Precisely. Yeah.
Whose side are you on? That would be telling. We want information. 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 Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. Um, so you became executive producer or co-executive producer of Big Finish in yes. 2006 2006 yeah right? it was July yeah. so when that role came your way was that mm. a no-brainer you thought I definitely want to do this or did you have any reservations as to because that would you know that's a whole different well um, Gary who had taken the burden on his shoulders uh, almost to mix a metaphor single-handedly <laughs> um, you know for, for seven years mm. During that time, it, there had been difficult moments. And uh, in my less charitable moments, I say about my dear friend, Gary Russell, that he's a bit of a serial resigner. Right. And I think he resigned three times <laughs> right. uh, before he finally went. Mm. And on some of those occasions, I can't remember whether it was all of them or, or most of them or mm. one of them, um, Jason Hay Gallery uh, came to me and said, I assume... Gary's, Gary's just told me on the phone that he's going, right. so I assume I assume you'll do it. Yeah. And each of those times, one. yeah, well, yeah. And each 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 of those times, I said, God no. Right. I said, it looks like a terrible job to me. <laughs> I mean, I because his um, uh, the office was just around the corner from where we lived, and I would sort of you know come back from the pub late at night, and the the light would still be on. Mm. He's probably just playing online bingo. <laughs> I was, there was a lovely time once when Gary looked like he was really concentrating in the office and I used to have a little ante room where I used to do post-production. And I looked at him and I thought, oh God, I won't interrupt him, but he's busy, he's busy. And then I heard, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. And I looked at him and he's kind of like, mm, busted. <laughs> but anyway, we all have to relax, don't we? But I could see that it was very um, stressful. Mm. And, it, you know, he did a lot of getting cross with people on online forums and all mm. that kind of stuff. And there were, you know, and there was a lot of cruel cruelty to Gary. But mm. you know, it's difficult when you go out there fighting. People fight back, don't mm. they? I yeah. mean, the best thing to do is just to keep quiet yeah. and, and as much as possible not listen to any of it. Um, I don't mean the productions. I mean the criticism, <laughs> the criticism that is bound to come your way. But when it got to the point where Gary had been offered a job by BBC mm. Wales. I started thinking, and Gary had spoken to me earlier that year about how he used that phrase, who'd out. He said, I've just got nothing to offer. Mm. And then I could see that he, he sort of stopped doing the job before he resigned. Mm. And he'd got quite a lot in the can, but we were running out of things to release. Right. And I just, you know, so I went to Jason and I had to think about, and I think I spoke to John Ainsworth, you mm. know, he'd worked for Big Finish a lot and, you know, great uh, friend of mine and Gary's um, and I spoke to him and said Look, I've, and I outlined a few ideas and, he, and John said I think you've got a lot to offer he said I think you should speak to Jason mm. and then even though Gary was uh, was resigning mm. he did he sort of behaved like he'd been fired right. <laughs> which was really weird and then he became the person who did the approvals for the BBC so it was right. just sweet revenge for him <laughs> yeah. he was in a position where he could uh, wreck any plans I had yeah. but uh, luckily he didn't because he's a much nicer person than that <laughs> um, but uh, I was doing I ended up being producer of the 8th Doctor and Lucy Miller adventures which you know Sheridan Smith and Paul McGann and I only did that because Gary, in the sort of throes of his disgruntlement with the job, 
had turned down the option. You know, Jason said, look, Radio 4 Extra, or they were Radio 7 then, uh, wanted to, us to do a special series more or less for them that we can release simultaneously. And he just wasn't interested. He thought um, that it was uh, um, a betrayal uh, to... It was disloyal to India playing Charlie. He said, you can't have the Eighth Doctor with a different companion. Right. You know, Gary is one of the most loyal people you could ever meet. He will never let his friends down and he'll do anything for a friend. I've always said about Gary that if you if you found yourself by some fictional quirk in, in the highlands of Scotland in the middle of the night and didn't know what to do or where to go, if you could find a phone box and phone Gary in London, as yeah. he lived then, and say, Gary, and he'd say, what's the address in the phone box? And he would get in his car and come and get you. Yeah. And that, that's not even an exaggeration, he would. I mean, he's just incredible like that. So he, he reacted badly to that, but I was just excited about it. Doing so because the idea was to do the the Eighth Doctor and Lucy like a sort of new series, mm. new Doctor Who series thing. So I could go into more detail, but I'm literally boring myself. To make sure that the blood of the Daleks remains pure. Creatures in the snow. Creatures. Bear things. Doctor. Doctor, can't you stop them? Everything I am is part of our Robots is Greek for fear. It means you've materialized us inside a time loop. So with Big Finish, I mean, is it mm. fair to assume that if there's anything Big Finish hasn't done yes. in the worlds of Doctor Who or anyone they you haven't worked with, yes. that you have asked right. and for whatever reason it just hasn't worked out? Because I think people some people are like, why haven't you got this person? Or why haven't yeah, you yeah. done this? And you're like, well, Presumably you kind of have tried. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I've no... Uh, I couldn't tell you definitely. Yeah. You could, you could ask me a few. <laughs> and I might people, no comment. People would presumably think, you know, why, 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 why not Christopher Eccleston? Why not Matt Smith? But yeah. presumably you have approached Of course we have, yeah. yes. Yeah. They just say no. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and stories, as well. if there's anything you haven't done, it's because you, you, know, you wanted to and you weren't allowed to for whatever reason. There's, I, imagine, well, I imagine after 20 years, there's not many boxes you haven't tried to tick off. Mm. That's true. And I suppose, I can't, unfortunately, I can't think of a good example, but I'm sure that it happens that we ask to do things and we, we're told we can't. Mm. But then that's, it's just because it's time sensitive. And mm. then at a later point, we, we are collected. Mm. I mean, we were told for ages we weren't allowed to do the Paternoster game. Right. Uh, there was a specific thing that, no, Stephen doesn't want that to be done. And we don't know why. Mm. And one day when I'm drunk with him again, I'll uh, ask him <laughs> yeah. in the pub because a bunch of us meet up quite regularly. Yeah. And um, I would, yeah, I must ask him. He'll probably say, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. That was my impersonation of Stephen yeah, Moffat after, uh, after a few drinks. Well, it was just vaguely Scottish. <laughs> that's about it, really. <laughs> Offensive to many of the people listening. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, and then f- finally, you know, Someone just said, oh, you can do that. I think we just keep asking, really. Mm. Well, especially when they indicate, you know, that um, there's a specific current reason. Mm. I remember my favourite, as going back to Gary Russell, really, my favourite uh, uh, coded reason. for I, I wrote a story called Victory of the Daleks. Yes. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we sent it into the BBC and Gary phoned me up and said, you can't call it that. <laughs> and I said, why not? And he went, Guess. <laughs> I said, "What is? 
he said, well, Mark Gatiss is writing a Dalek oh. story. I said, is it called Victory of the Dalek? He said, oh, I can't tell you. I said, all right. So I texted Mark and I just said, um, apparently you're writing a story called uh, Victory of the Daleks. And he said, yes. <laughs> uh, and I said, well, I've just written one called Victory of the Daleks. Uh, have you got any suggestions for a title like it? And he said, how about Triumph of the Daleks? And I said, I think that's a bit similar. So I called it Patient Zero. Mm. Because some months before, I was prevented from calling a story Patient Zero <laughs> because there was apparently a Torchwood story. Was there a right. Torchwood story called Patient, Patient Zero or something like that? So I had to retitle that Mission, mm. Mission of the Virons. Mm -hmm. And then, so I thought, well, I'll use the title because it was also apposite. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I thought, I'll use that title I wasn't allowed to use before. Yeah. How ironic. Clever. So, <laughs> Clever. I think that's uh, overdoing it. So if rights and all those other complications were no issue, yes. what property would you love to tackle at Big Finish? Because if... it's a running gag in all our episodes, the amount of times we talk about something, you go, Big Finish, you do an audio drama. Yes. <laughs> Get a lot of yeah, free plugs. Yeah. Well... Gosh, I think we're doing it. I mean, you've all. done a lot. We've done a lot. It's something, something that's not Doctor Who, obviously. Mm, um, yeah. Oh, James Bond. Mm. Would love us to do James Bond. I wouldn't necessarily want to be involved in it. I thought you were going to say BJ Bond. Bond yeah. I certainly wouldn't want to be James Bond. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Um, but, uh, although on audio. Um, uh, but uh, I suppose I could play M, couldn't I? Yeah. yeah. Find your way to bring Dalton back. He could play him. Yeah. <laughs> could be nasty. That's what he says, isn't it? Nasty. 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 So what I always feel like with Timothy Dalton is like a, a, a rage boiling up behind, you know, behind everything he says. He's really annoyed. The brand on the list was questionable, sir, but I took the liberty of choosing something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's just talking about like he's talking about booze, but he's, he's angry all the time. What's the one we had to say the line of the film and he was really annoyed that he had to say Oh I'm so scared the living daylight. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's furious that he has to deliver that. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Yeah. yeah. Shaken, not stirred. He's always angry. <laughs> Even if the line doesn't call for it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Dalton. Oh, he's my favourite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, I don't know whether I have a favourite, but yeah, for ages I used to say he was my favourite, mm. just to upset people. Yeah, But I do, uh, I remember my sister-in-law just went completely bonkers. And she <laughs> screamed the phrase, bag of shite, at me. <laughs> he's a bag of shite! So, it was like being uh. assaulted. <laughs> Um, I thought, oh, steady on, we're only talking about James Bond, yeah. you know, it's not Brexit. Well, there was, there was no Brexit then. Anyway, on to Brexit. No! Um, yeah, uh, what else? So that's a good example, and yeah. it's certainly one we've sniffed around. Yeah. But we've more or less finally, after several pursuits, mm. we've been told, it's never going to happen. Eon Films will never let you do yeah. it. It doesn't matter yeah. how much you go through the literary estate or anything, Eon yeah. Films, they're, they're always going to... Yeah. Um, uh, oh, it just came to me then, and I've forgotten again. Star Trek. Uh, right. I'd love to do yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to find a way of of uh, getting the rights to just do audio books of the Star Trek one, two, three, four. Mm. Those books with all the episodes yeah. adapted by James Blish. 
I would love to do that. Yeah. But finding someone to give you permission to do that, yeah. uh, honestly, it's not had, that they said no. You just can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> no one, no one will own up to having right. the, the right to tell you. Yeah. No, they sure. won't even say no. Surely yeah. William Shatner's written. <laughs> yes. He's written an unofficial Star Trek novel. He's written an official Star Trek novel. Just go straight to Shat. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Go straight to. Sorted. Yeah. So I'd love, I'd love, and I would love to be all over Star Trek. I love yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. I'm not as much a fan of it as I am Doctor Who. I don't have encyclopedic knowledge of it. But I pretty much know all the episode titles of the original series, but, uh, which I really watch. And I've enjoyed Star Trek Discovery mm. and indeed The Orville. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, there are lots of things I'd love to do, but I don't think would sell. Such as? I mean, I'd love to do Public Eye. Right. <laughs> now, I've, now I've done it. Um, uh, what else? I mean, presumably things like the champions. Oh, I'd love to do the champions. Yeah. Absolutely, I've mentioned that to ITV, and they looked at me like, "Well, I don't know what that is." <laughs> um, uh, Randall and Hopkirk, the Anderson shows. I mean, yeah, all of those. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to do those. Absolutely. Um, I mean, interesting. They are very visual, but so was the prisoner. You mm. know, and I was. I suppose one of my going back to my proudest achievements was Schizoid Man, mm. uh, which, which you know is all about there being a double of the prisoner. And I thought, but it's going to, you, you won't know which one's which. And I thought, oh, hold on. That's what's going to make this episode interesting. Mm. Because there were, and I actually wrote into the script several times. At this point, the audience will not know which, which version mm. of number six is the real version. Yeah. You know? and you thought, because in the TV episode, they made them wear different clothes. Inexplicably, you know, yeah. that'll make it easy for the audience. Aren't you missing the point? He's meant to be impersonating him, so surely he'd have the same costume. They wouldn't, yeah. you know, because he'd just say, well, I'll never wear anything like that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting too emotional. <laughs> um, so your involvement then with the TV series, and in yes. particular voicing the Daleks how did that happen was it as simple as Russell saying well you do the voices for Big Finish so you could do the voices for television more or less really yeah. um, which is amazing it is amazing and uh, I'm especially grateful to Russell for changing my life yeah actually because however daft a thing it is to do I love it <laughs> um, it's a something isn't it mm. you know well, you, you, when you, you talk to someone at a party and they say what do you do and you go yeah. oh I do and I also do the voice of the dark yeah. well, everything else you've said flies out <laughs> yeah. the window because yeah. they just think oh my god you do the voice of the dark yeah. or entertainingly if they're from another country they go what's that yeah. <laughs> and that makes you feel that bit <laughs> but if you google now voice of the Daleks it's your name and your picture yeah. that, that appears. is it really yeah I've never done that yeah God, let's do it now no no, no, no. <laughs> um, but to wake yeah. up in the morning and just go well yeah I'm, I'm, I'm the Daleks I'm the voice of the Daleks <laughs> that's pretty cool it's nice isn't it I mean yeah. it's a strange job I mean it's not the job you dream about doing as a kid even though I was obsessed with the voice of the Daleks I mean yeah. you just didn't think you'd do something like that uh, talking of the looking things up the, what was the before we used to do that, there used to be a thing on the phone, wasn't it? You could dial a number mm. and you could ask a question or something. Or, or, or text. Or te text. Six, triple three, six. That's it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Any question it was answered. great. That, yeah. was, that was great. <laughs> and I remember when we were filming, uh, it must have been the second series of Doctor Who, and we were in the, uh, the big hotel we used to stay in before they downgraded us to the small hotel. Um, uh, and I was sitting there with Noel and a few other people, Noel Clark and a few other people, and we were doing this, mm. and he said, "Oh, right, right, uh, come on then, Bruce." You know, he he put in his name. Who is Noel Clark? Mm. And it came up with like two or three options mm. of different Noel Clarks. 
And he was like, oh, 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 oh Briggsy, let's see about you then. He put in, who is Nicholas Briggs? He mm. said, Nicholas Briggs is the voice of the dark. Oh, so was, and he was amazing. really gutted. Yeah. <laughs> and I was laughing my head off. He was going, how come you're more famous than me? I'm like a film star. <laughs> yeah, bless him. What was, what was it like on set for that first series of Doctor Who when it had been off air for so long and no one really knew? Obviously, Russell was involved and Chris was involved. So people knew there was a good calibre. But yeah. no one knew if that was going to be no, a success. No, that's, the, that, that's a fantastic question because... It's very easy to forget that when we first did it, we had no idea how successful it was going to be. Mm. I mean, really, mm. we just, you know, I mean, we all thought this is good, though. We'd mm. all, you know, for that first episode I did, you know, I thought the script was tremendous mm. and and it all seemed very impressive to me. But, um, yeah, we had no, because people kept saying to me, is it any good? And I go, well, I, I think it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Christopher Eccleston's amazing and Billy Piper, they're, they're brilliant. It just works fantastically, you know. Um, but yeah, we we just didn't know. And by the by, the the in case you haven't heard the story, the story of me getting the job is that they had a pre-production meeting for licensees, and the editor of Doctor Who magazine and a few other people I knew. It was Clayton Hickman at the time, the editor of Doctor Who magazine, Justin Richards running all the BBC book stuff. Um, they were there, and they and Russell did a thing saying, "Oh, we're having the Daleks and everything." And Clayton put his hand up and said. Um, if you're doing the Daleks, is Nick Briggs doing the voice? Mm. And Russell said, yes, he is, but don't tell it because we haven't <laughs> asked his agent yet. Oh. At which point, you know, Clayton phoned me and said, Briggsy, don't tell anyone I've told you. Right. <laughs> and then Justin Richards phoned as well mm. and said, don't tell anyone. So when they asked you, did you have to be like, oh, what an enormous surprise. Thank well, you so I primed my then agent yeah. and, and said, look, you know, because he was a, a, a hopeless drunk. <laughs> said, That's not even a joke, it's hilarious. But he's dead, it's fine. Oh. <laughs> because he's a hopeless drunk. <laughs> lovely man, lovely man. Um, I'd say, look, Jim, if they, phone, if they phone you up and say they want me to be the voice of the Daleks, you know, it's not a joke. Mm. You're right, yeah. You know, I said, so, and I've been told I've got the job, mm-hmm. but... I've come to help, I'm the doctor. Dead. 
you all burn, all of you, 10 million ships on fire, the entire Dalek race wiped out in one second. Goodbye. I watched it happen. I made it happen. You destroyed us. It was an excruciating... I don't know how... I'd love to know how long it was from the secretive telling and then actually getting the offer. I think it was a long time. Mm. And in the meantime, there was some awful lying rumour monger who was, I believe, stringing along Rob Shearman at one point that he he was a woman who was working on Doctor Who, but it ended up being a a notorious liar. And he said that Andy Serkis was going to be the voice of the Daleks. And, of course, when I heard that, I've told this pitiful story many times, I just thought, of course. Yeah. Of course, it'll be someone famous. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he goes, a funny voice. I thought, yeah. Of <laughs> funny voice he's, a, he's a funny man. He's a funny voice man. I thought, it's going to be him. And yeah. I just, I just, oh. oh. It was like that moment. There's one of the adaptations of Jane Eyre, the one with William Hurt in. Mm-hmm. And there's a lovely bit where, um, where, you know, she thinks she's in love with Rochester. And he's out there and he's meeting the local... Um, Lady of the Manor, or it was Blanche, her mm. name is, and she is beautiful. Mm. She's played by some incredibly beautiful actress. And there's a moment when Jane Eyre sees the two of them together, and she turns to the mirror, <laughs> looks at herself, and just says, "You fool!" <laughs> <laughs> and that was you. And that, that was me. Yeah, I saw Andy Serkis with Ross Rex, and I just said, "You fool!" He's well, much uglier than you. It's <laughs> probably the first and only time we get Jane Eyre on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you must have like plugged. I love it. Jane Eyre. I played Rochester, you know. Oh, week. of course. Not last week. No. You must have uh, plugged into yourself when you were first got that um, modulator, you know, and just thought, I'm now doing it on the actual TV show. Yeah, like, yeah. Full circle. It must have just been. Incredible. It was incredible, and yeah. I remember thinking, I went back. I sort of regressed to the old days of Doctor Who because the big obsession. For an old fart like me, when when we were kids and, and older, is that Doctor Who was ephemeral. You know, we didn't, we weren't able to record it. There were no domestic mm. video recorders. So this feeling that this experience of this thing you loved would go, and that suddenly came back to me. So I phoned Russell up and said, "I bought a video camera. Can I video everything on set?" And he said, "Well, it's all very confidential." I said, "Oh, okay." And he, he said, "Oh, well, go on then." <laughs> and so for two years, I just filmed everything oh, I did. Amazing. on set. I've got all this incredible behind-the-scenes footage. Mm. Which is, I suppose, my retirement plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, he said, "He said you you can probably sell it to Doctor Who Com. We're doing a show called Doctor Who Confidential. Yeah. I think they bought a few shots for some online thing they mm. did, but that was it, really. So I've got all this stuff. Wow. Um, true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's probably mostly me just bitching about you know <laughs> not getting a tea break. Right, yeah. <laughs> craft services are terrible. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I used to I used to do. Um, uh, a video diary at the end mm. of every day of shooting mm. and then I would wipe my hand across the lens yeah. to show that because I'd do a video diary for public consumption then I'd do the truth about what I really <laughs> and all the little bits of bitchiness and nastiness and the things that you know uh, Barnaby Edwards and I are sniggered about yeah. behind the scenes so none of this is publishable until yeah. the year you know 2058 yeah. um, will I be dead then? probably, probably. <laughs> um, and so I'd all I remember is that watching some of it, and I don't know for which story, it might have even been the Cyberman story or something, but watching some of it, literally just two weeks after I'd recorded it, mm. I thought, had you shown me a transcription of what I've just seen myself said, mm. I would have told you you were a liar and that I'd never said that. Mm. The things that were preoccupying me in the sort of, um, the, 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 the fulcrum of, the, of that, that experience, mm. 
that were so important to me on that day, two yeah. weeks before. Yeah. Two weeks later, I'm just thinking, what are you going on about, you, you trivial twerp? That's why we're recording everything you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's a lovely example of how um, any kind of notoriety can turn you into a complete art. And I've only had the slightest bit of notoriety. Um, I remember once that there was a researcher at um, BBC News mm. who somehow got a hold of my number. Her name was Jo and she was Scottish. That's all I remember about her. And she would phone me up to get me on BBC News, only the weekend edition of Breakfast, which is, you know, it was like the cheap. No, no one watches that. Yeah, exactly. So that's the only one I've been on <laughs> um, several times. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she would phone up, hello, it's Joe. And I'd say, hello, David Tennant let you down again. And she'd go, oh, no, but clearly he had. You know, sure. they couldn't get anyone famous. Yeah. So they'd go, I'll get that. But get him out in the old thing and again, wah, wah, wah. it'll be terribly, terribly entertaining. Anyway, there was one uh, she booked me to do. She said, will you come in? I don't think there was ever any money in it. Mm. They said, we'll send a cab for you. And um, then one of her colleagues phoned and said, oh, hello, this is so-and-so from Radio 5 Live. And I, um, I hear that Joe is booking you for BBC Breakfast. I wonder whether, before you do BBC Breakfast, whether you'd pop into the Radio 5 Live studios. This was all at Television Centre in those days. Um, like, that's an interesting fact. <laughs> saw, who, who cares? <laughs> this is all in my potting shed in those days. Um, will you come in and do it? And I said, well, I'm already getting up at whatever early time it was in the morning that seemed dreadfully early to me then. And they said, yeah, yeah, well, we'd have to send the cab. We, we can rebook your cab to um, come in at what? And I thought, Christ, that's early. That's Saturday. And I went, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, fine. Oh, all right, fine, fine. And then someone else phoned uh, uh, from BBC Wales mm. for their Today programme for BBC Radio 4 Wales. And they wanted to, to, oh, could you just, there's a little studio just to the right of the reception area at TV, Television Centre. Mm. And if you go in there and just wait there for a while, a phone will go and then you'll just, yeah. right. Oh, and yeah, the ring modulator. Blah, blah, blah. I said, well, well, is this before the Five Live thing? Yeah, yeah. How early is that? And I, and I just, um, it was it was too early and I said oh that's just ridiculous and I I I can't remember what I said but it was very rude mm. and involved some rude words and and clicked my phone off oh, no. yeah then he phoned back immediately and said sorry the signal went oh, no. I didn't sorry I didn't I think we got cut off what did you say and I thought I'm not religious but I looked out and said thank you God uh, and I chance. said I just said that's absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, my God, I just became an arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> that's another that, strap That line. was the moment. Yeah, that was the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think I recovered. That's, yeah. that's the idea. Although when I went in to do the Five Live bit, I got interviewed by Five Live the other day for that um, Mission to the Unknown thing. And I mm. said to him to start with, I swore I'd never do an interview <laughs> with Five Live again. He went, what, why? So I told him this story, which is that when I went in to do the Five Live interview, they were doing a sort of big, like a round of table like this in our meeting room here. And they all had microphones and there were various presenters and guests and they were all being interviewed and chatted to. And it's all live, because it's called Five Live. Mm. And I, I came in and they ushered me in and the presenters were sort of talking and they were saying, oh, no, I'm not, they were you know, very professional, waving to me while they were talking. It was all very, so I got quietly into a seat. And, yeah. and then they started setting up my ring modulator and everything. And they were sort of very excited. <laughs> it's the Dalek man and everything, carrying on with the programme and I'm listening to all this 
stuff and the headphones on and then eventually the guy plugging the ring modulator and then trying to get it to work with the BBC system and the BBC system I don't know whether it's still the same it's not not compatible with any other known audio (laughs) and uh, we never had that problem in Cardiff because there was no infrastructure there Mm. it was just you and a sound man and a plug in the ground you know Um, and he fiddles around with this and he eventually turns around and kind of does a sort of motion with his hands like this is never going to work and this is all live yeah and they're still not interviewing me. They're yeah. talking to other people. And then, I, and I, and I just sort of gesticulate to them like mm. it doesn't matter. You know, it'd be fine, sort of thing. And then someone comes and sort of almost manhandles oh, me out. No. And I, they they grab me by the shoulders and they sort of pull me out. I say, and I look and I go, no, I didn't. And they yeah. said, it's not work. The thing's not working. So I say, just do an interview. It's like you and can't like, do the funny yeah, voice. We're not yeah, interested. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that. Yeah. If you can't dance, monkey, you're out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just thought, what? And they just dragged oh, me out of the studio God. in front of the presenters, and I thought, I'm never <laughs> coming back to yeah. this bloody. Oh, but dear. then you know, then when a nice man came up to me with a microphone at the mm. University of. Uh, um, Lancashire. I went, yes, all right. Oh, After I told him that story and he was looking at me slightly scared, like, are you mad? Are you going to take exact revenge upon me for people I've never met and who've retired since that happened? You know? Yes. Well, just finally, Nick, because you've yes. been very generous yeah, with your time. You. Um, <laughs> or rather, just couldn't stop talking. Or just that, couldn't, we just actually. couldn't shut you up. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Of, of, of everything you've accomplished mm. in the worlds of Doctor Who, you know, on Big Finish, on television, is that you're already recoiling at the very thoughtless. Is there one thing that you are most proud of? Uh, apart from this, right now. <laughs> well, that's, you've preempted my answer. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, God. When push comes to shove, I do lots of different things, but I was trained as an actor mm. and the idea is uh, to entertain people, uh, to bring a little bit of um, excitement or whatever, or mm. thri- some thrills in, into their lives. So really, you know, Bitcoin in a bit of a corny way, I, the proudest thing is really, I suppose, uh, <laughs> so ridiculous, you know, giving a lot of thrills and joy to children, mm. you know. Um, and g- there was a defining moment very early on from doing the Dalek voice where I was at the Albert Hall, amazing privilege, and they were doing a Doctor Who prom bit of the prom, and um, they were playing the Doctor Who theme. And in the rehearsal, they said, and the Dalek will just go around and there was a bit later I was going to do a bit of dialogue with the presenter whoever it was and the Dalek would just go around in the the uh, arena bit in in the middle mm. and the kids are sitting around there but what happened um, on the first performance is that the kids all came forward and held on to the Dalek because when they're moving around and not saying anything they kind of start to look a bit sweet <laughs> and a bit lost you know they're mm. looking around and, and the Dalek couldn't move and Paul Barnaby Edwards was inside trying to move it and these kids were just hugging it and <laughs> hanging on to every appendage you know? yeah. and I'd said before the performance I said should I say exterminate and the, whoever was in charge was you know affronting me this is a concert <laughs> music is playing you will not speak during the music I said sorry sir, I felt like such a fool you know a real faux pas but then when this happened on the first performance they came over to me and they said on the next performance, could you maybe shout exterminate? <laughs> and so what happened? The same thing happened. All the kids got over the dark and then I just shouted, exterminate! And they all just ran for the hills. Oh. And I just thought, there, 
is the power of the Daleks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, nice. wonderful. Well, thank you very much again. Yeah, cheers. And, and yeah. cheers. Well, cheers. I've been restrained. Normally I'm a real guzzler, but <laughs> since I'm just talking constantly. I've made my way through a whole bottle. Hey, you've done well. <laughs> Ha, well, I don't know about you, but that was very interesting, Morgan. Interesting and entertaining, I know, Tom. I know. Uh, we definitely just listened back to the whole recording <laughs> and are not recording this outro yeah. directly mere seconds after recording the intro that you heard at the beginning of the episode. But from what we uh, recall of yeah. our chat with Nick, and remember we had had a beer each, yeah, yeah. Um, no, genuinely a really great, uh, yeah. quite frank yeah. chat uh, very interesting I thought particularly if you're a Doctor Who fan but even if you're not a Doctor Who fan yeah because you know I'm not the biggest Doctor Who nerd in the world what you know this <laughs> yeah, but the <laughs> listeners won't Doctor Who fans tuning in oh great in Nick comparison, brings it in yeah. comparison yeah. Yeah. and it was very fascinating just just great to be in his presence I guess mm. <laughs> just great to be in his presence great, yeah. just love the guy yeah. if you are a Doctor Who fan who's uh, tuned in to this episode and you've never heard the podcast before you can hear all 53 of our previous episodes on our website, which is twogeekstwobeers.com. We're also on iTunes, yeah. Stitcher, Spotify. All sorts. Anywhere you get podcasts, you get Two Geeks Two Beers. Yeah. Uh, we have a variety of Doctor Who-related episodes we should check out. Um, and we also have our first interview special, of course, with good friend to Nick, yeah. Jamie Anderson, son of Jerry Anderson, where we talk all through his dad's incredible legacy and all the amazing shows he produced. That's episode 44, if you're looking for that one. So I'll have to maybe check out episode 64 or we'll have our next uh, celebrity special. Look, don't, listen, let's not like bank that now, <laughs> just in case no one else ever agrees to speak to us ever again. <laughs> and whether you're a listener, new or old, uh, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Please do. And as ever, we're also on all the social channels at Two Geeks Cast. That's Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And also on Patreon. So we'd love you to support us as ever in any way you can. It all means a lot. Just search for us on there and you'll find us mm. and you'll get lots of exclusive goodies. Yeah, little bonus clips yeah. and outtakes. Yeah. Uh, if you cough up enough, you might even <laughs> get your you own can, episode. You can even get your own episode yeah. exclusive to you. And as ever, all the funds you may wish to provide uh, go back directly into producing the show, paying for equipment, yeah. travel costs, yeah. that kind of thing. And it's not just on the beer. Not just on the beer. No. It's also the beer. Yeah, I mean, it's but part of it. It's lot important. A lot of other things as well. It's half the episode title. <laughs> it is. So, to play us out, very appropriate, uh, by Art Attacks. This is an Art Attacks. This is an Art Attacks song. song. <laughs> uh, they're a 1970s punk band, and this is their 1978 single, I Am a Dalek. Just like Nicholas Briggs. Because he is a Dalek. Exactly. So this song's called and I Am a Dalek. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It works. Don't question it. Don't worry about it. Anyway. Cheers. Cheers, see you next time. <laughs> Smooth.
Wonderful. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you.